This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. As we continue our 2019 A Look Ahead series, we're going to focus on the markets, which have seen quite a roller coaster the last few months. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended up seeing a decline of over 10% last year. Both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 saw declines as well. The factors that lead to some of this uncertainty are still in place, including the U.S. trade war with China and President Trump's open disagreement with the Federal Reserve's decision to raise interest rates, among other things. So what should we expect in the markets in 2019? Right now we're joined by Jeremy Siegel, finance professor here at the Wharton School. You also hear on the show Behind the Markets every Friday here on Sirius XM 132. Great seeing you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Dan. So give us your sense going into 2019 of what you think we're going to see. I saw an article uh, that you were quoted in uh, that you think we could have a pretty good bounce back here in 2019. Right. Now, let's let's review last year. Um, I predicted zero to 10 percent return on the market. And um, <laughs> during almost all the year, people said, oh, Jeremy, you're far too pessimistic. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, bang. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we had that, uh, near bear market, um, didn't quite get down to that 20% on the S and P from top to bottom. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, it overreacted. Um, okay. um, let, let me say that I do think the last hike of the federal reserve was a mistake. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't have, but it's not a fatal mistake. It was a close decision. Um, but uh, especially I was very encouraged, as as the market was, by uh, last uh, Monday's employment report, yeah. which is really certainly uh, sort of dispelled any immediate worries. Now, the, the employment report is what we call a coincident indicator. It's not a leading indicator. So, you know, it's not predictive of of weakness, right. but it does show you that certainly we, uh, you know, didn't end uh, 2018 on what we would call a recession. So given all that, um, uh, the market is selling for about 16 times last year's earnings. Okay. Uh, that's the S&P 500. So even if earnings don't increase at all, which is well below expectation. 16 is a very reasonable multiple, especially in a low interest rate environment. And right. I don't think the Fed is going to be tightening at all this year, or and only if the economy turns out to be very strong and only at the end of the year. And that's been the question. Uh, uh, we've heard whether there potentially could be two increases in, in rates, whether there would be none. You're thinking that it, it'll they'll play it close to the vest this year. I think that, you know, honestly, as I said, uh, I wouldn't have done the December. Will, will they take it back? Only if there's a lot more weakness. Right. Um, otherwise, they'll be on hold. And again, they may be on hold for that whole year. So I think the Fed, looking back, I'm not saying they say, oh, gee, I wish I could, I could take this back. They're not going to admit it ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, uh, you know, my feeling is is that uh, the, the bond market 
um, which is, you know, really where so much of the important sentiment is located, has told the Fed, you tightened enough, if not more than enough. Yeah. So it's saying you got to slow down. And uh, and I think I, I think now Powell uh, and the Fed is uh, is going to listen to that. Gad Elon also joining us, a professor of operations, information, and decisions here at the Wharton School, as well as director of the Management and Technology Program. Gad, great to have you with us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan. Great to be here again. Thank you. So give us your thoughts on, on what we saw with uh, with Wall Street and the reaction of, of some of these companies uh, in the last few months of 2018 and maybe where we're headed in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert on on the financial market per se, but I'm looking at the tech firms, and then specifically, I look at how in the last few years the tech firms were really the main engine that was driving the S and P, if you will. And and I'm worried about some of these firms, and specifically, I look at the last few months, and and, and even more so in the last few days, and some of the indicators we got there. So I think, if, if for example, I'm I'm terribly worried by the last announcement by Apple. I think it has long-term implications, and, and, and both for, I mean, and I'm talking about the fact that, I mean, the correction that they made for their revenues, for their earnings, um, both because what it has implication on firms doing business in China, uh, yeah. selling in China, and, and having a supply chain heavily skewed to China, um, but also the implication for what it means for other firms in their supply chain, right? I mean, I think that the entire tech supply chain in many ways is powered by the consumer side, but if you, you have to go downstream and you see firms like Qualcomm and then Applied Materials and, and, and really deep into that. And then, so I'm, I'm a little bit less optimistic than Professor Siegel on what's going to happen in the future, primarily because I, I'm looking at some of these firms and then I'm worried about the implications. Jeremy? Well, uh, yeah, I hear you. And um, I think the saving part about that is that Apple – is not priced like Netflix or Amazon. I mean, it's priced at a very reasonable PE ratio. Um, it's not. Uh, it's almost being always priced as a con- not really a tech firm, a con- almost a consumer discretionary firm. So I agree, the slowdown is serious. I think the, I think Cook should have warned earlier. I think there were signals that they weren't going to make their their. Um, projections um, there, and I think a lot of the smart money began to know it, and that's why Apple was under pressure for so long, even before that announcement. Um, but right now, at, at today's multiple, you don't need it, you know, you don't need it to become uh, another super growth company. It's selling at a really reasonable times earnings. Now, some of the other firms you mentioned are really leveraged on on this slowdown, and I agree with you there's there's source of concern there, um, but uh, you know I mean maybe Apple has another ten twenty points down on the downside, but um, I still think there's innovation in Apple and that it. Um, I, I I I was listening this morning and someone said well Clorox only has a three percent 
expectation of growth and selling for 20 times earnings and Apple's at 10. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a way, it's just being sold, uh, selling almost like a consumer stock. Well, I, I guess, get it. it also makes you wonder where Apple is concerned, playing off of what Professor Siegel just said, is how much innovation is there in Apple these days? And, and I'll go back to something we mentioned at the top of the show and the fact that Apple is partnering with Samsung on content going to certain Samsung TVs. Apple and Samsung were, were heated rivals for a long period of time, and yet now Apple seemingly is maybe changing their mindset a little bit. Right, and, and, but that brings me to the point of why I'm maybe not worried about Apple per se, but I'm worried about the entire market. And, and I think that you bring Samsung, I think it shows that I think that the worry is, is deeper than just one firm. I think what, one implication of what we see, and, I, and I, if you read a little bit into the announcement, is the fact that there is more discretion. I mean, there are many, many firms that are building off the discretionary spending of the new middle class in China. And what we see that if in the past it was really running to buy brands and, and continuously out, uh, outpace uh, your neighbors, I mean, what we've seen from like going back to the U.S. in the 50s and the 60s, um, we don't see a similar behavior here now. I mean, we, we see actually using, so maybe not getting into the same race on phones and not getting into the same race on brands, and actually going and spending that more on, I mean, higher quality of life. But do you think and, that's and, partially and the tensions between um, China and the U.S. and maybe telling Trump we don't necessarily need American goods? Do you think there's some of that in, in the slowdown? Some of that. There might be some of, of a little bit deciding on, on changing a purchasing behavior of not, I mean, for a long while, many, there are many U.S. brands that lived off the fact that uh, many U.S. brands, like Cadillac, for example, it did better in China than the U.S. Um, for, for several years already, KFC does really well in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so I think there might be, a, one thing might be that. Second thing might be the fact that people say, well, we don't need any more brands. Brands, period. We, right. we actually need spending on things that are, I mean, maybe better quality of water, better quality of life. Uh, but the vacations, we do spe- see much more spending on vacations, for example, in China than in the past. Um, and, and, and you see firms like Maituan and, and, and the like that are, that are feeding off that. But that's not anymore selling products, but rather selling services. And we know these are not tradable. And then so that there are more going to be implications for firms globally that, that are that fed off that. Jeremy, uh, one of the things that's been thrown around, especially in the last few weeks, is if and when there are talks between the United States and China, and if, in fact, there ends up becoming a, a new trade deal between the two sides, what impact that's going to have on Wall Street? And the expectation is, okay, we're going to see a, a quick pickup. Uh, is is that your expectation as well? Well, let, that's a very good question. Let me first me- follow up on what Gad was just yep. saying. Um you know, a lot of, I think, the attraction, I would like his opinion on this, on, of the Chinese to brand names, is the fact that they, you know, there's been a lot of deception about from Chinese manufacturers about quality, like quality of milk, quality right. of, of a lot of that. And they trust Procter & Gamble, and they sure. trust the the older brand names of the U.S. that, although they're not perfect, they're not going to get levels of of impure goods and i think 
that that is a big seller brand name, not only in China, but India and elsewhere. The fact that there's this trust, you can almost trust these long-lived corporations more than you can trust the government. And um, I'm not sure that that's disappeared. That, but if that does disappear, you're, you're absolutely right. That is a, a threat to, to U.S. brand names and sure. European brand names. I, both, both have those, that brand name edge. I'm willing to pay more because I can trust sure. that their quality is of something. On, on your point, Don, uh, I think the, the market expects a deal. Um, however, if a deal is reached, it doesn't mean the market won't go up. <laughs> right, right. Um, it, it does mean if a deal isn't reached and tariffs get heightened, it's going to really go down again. So, right. I mean, uh, that's going to be a relief rally. Um, and um, there's, you know, with a slowdown in China, there's there's a feeling that really Trump maybe even has more leverage than he had had a right to have expected yeah. uh, a year ago or six months ago in terms of this negotiation. But it seems to me with the slowdown in China that she wants to come to some agreement and um, uh, that we expect an agreement to be made. Also, the fact that that if you know if 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 Powell doesn't hike anymore, then it's on Trump to keep the stock market sure. up. Yeah, right. <laughs> he can't blame someone if it if he keeps if he you know escalates a war yeah. uh, on tariffs and the market goes down. He has only himself to blame for that. Gad, how how confident or pessimistic are you about these quote unquote negotiations moving forward, especially in the next few weeks? In my opinion, I, I am here with the, with Jeremy on that. I think I think both interests have I think realized by now that unless there is some change, we're heading into a slower market, and and, and both have nothing to to earn from that. Uh, both economies, in many ways, I mean, we, we talk. I mean, there are some people making the equivalence between what happens now and and then World War Two, uh, but we have much more. And, and I don't think that I, I mean, I definitely don't think that Trump realizes how entangled the two economies are um, and and you cannot just say okay let Apple move the uh, their production to the US otherwise we'll have a five thousand dollar iPhone I mean I think most of us depend so much on the supply chain that crosses across the line I mean I, I in one of my classes I show um, the life of a DVD player and, and such a commodity but it takes nine countries and five cross uh, five times crossing the Atlantic at the Atlantic to actually manufacture something like that these are deeply, deeply long supply chains that are built on top of each other. The economies, so I, I cannot see a way where they, they can they both will decide not to negotiate or decide to, to just uh, get entrenched into in their position, the current positions. Gab, with you following the tech sector the way you do, there's also uh, the, the interest that would be coming up on the markets of, the, of a couple of IPOs coming up in 2019 expected, uh, like Uber and Lyft. Yes, we have. I mean, we, we have these three: the Uber, Lyft, and and and, uh, and Slack. Um, and and three are probably most anticipated in the last few years. I mean, Uber. Just to talk about Uber for a second. In my opinion, Uber is probably one of the biggest experiments ever in, in using VC money to fund a winner-takes-all in a market that is not a winner-takes-all, uh, with the belief that sometimes at the end. The one can actually take all of these subsidies and all of these payments and, and actually uh, create value. So uh, I think the question will be what will happen in the IPO. The question will be what what will happen a year after the IPO. But this is an extremely highly anticipated one uh, because there are many, many hypotheses that are based on 
uh, on that. Um, I, I mentioned Lyft and that, that as well, because this, by now it's clear that this is not a winner-takes-all market. And so the question will be, how do you value these two firms that the entire market and Pina was built on the fact that they can dominate their specific markets? And, and, and I'll add slack to that because with the fact that we see firms like Google and Facebook absolutely dominating the consumer markets, uh, we see more and more interesting firms coming coming in the B2B market, and, and Slack is probably the the most interesting player in that. And then, so I think it'll be interesting to see again how the value, how the market value that. We've seen a Atlassian before doing quite well, unlike the, the consumer market. That's a much more of a predictable market, a much more predictable growth. But they are fighting there against. Uh, Salesforce and Microsoft will be, again, reading the, that IPO will, will tell us a lot about what the expectation in terms of the market moving forward uh, in B2B versus B2C. Jeremy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm glad for Lyft that Uber isn't uh, <laughs> a monopoly. Uh, that, I yeah. mean, that's what we need everywhere. It's got to be another. I, I like the fact there's another firm that provides competition. Sure. It, uh, and 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 needed. Although certainly, I think Uber is several times Lyft. Lyft is there, and people do use it. It's a few dollars cheaper. Um, you may have to wait a little longer, but you know some people's time is less valuable than others, and they're willing to do that. And some people have ideological reasons for using uh, Lyft rather than Uber. Um, and 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 uh, you know, I, I sometimes wish we. We had that competition for Facebook or, or Google right. in the same way. Um, I mean, there, there have been attempts at it. I'm not an expert in the tech area, but I'm just sort of an observer. Uh, and, I, 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 and, and, of course, it also, it, it also falls to the very important question about whether, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, whether there, you, you expect any antitrust action could ever be taken or... or, or uh, severe restrictions being placed by the U.S. Congress on on, on Google or Facebook um, as a result of their uh, near monopoly positions. Uh, absolutely, I think if, if you ask me what what's the next the other important trend that's going to happen in the next year or two, it is definitely much stricter stricter regulation on Facebook and Google. Um, you have a new Congress that leans one way. You have a Senate that leans another way. And the only thing that almost they agree on is the fact that the other side is better represented on these social media. And and so I, I expect when it comes to these two firms, I expect it also a little bit with respect to Amazon maybe, even mm-hmm. though I should say the public uh, perception of Amazon is much uh, more positive than maybe observers mm-hmm. of the market in general. But all of these, all these three firms, I think, are going to have much more, much higher scrutiny. Uh, I think we're going to expect, we should expect to see a, some regulation on, on what. Actually, actually President Trump data. has been the one that's negative on Amazon right. more than Facebook or Google. But uh, right. the Congress talks more about because of privacy and other issues, Google yeah. and Facebook, than it does about Amazon. But you know, uh, Amazon certainly has. It's threatened a lot of small core um, sellers and from the, and their distribution angles and and you know thrown it up to the air and uh, caused disruption. Um, but uh, and and Trump gets on them every so often. Although I think we all love the convenience of it. I do. Right. <laughs> exactly. So that's the thing. Where it will be interesting. I think because when it comes to Facebook and Google, most of us 
I mean, in, in, in most of us in the tech, in the, the, the tech industry, understood already for a long while how they make money and, and how they can actually have such an amazing engine and why it's so hard to compete. But the reality is that the main person that uses them doesn't really know how it's being monetized. From the hearings in the Congress, it's clear that our congressmen and women don't know how they monetize their, mon- their, their uh, data. Uh, they very seldom sell it per se, but they monetize in many other different ways. And then any attempt to curb that and to regulate that is, is definitely going to hurt their val- long-term valuations. Uh, we see a different story, which is what happened with Amazon. I think that's more about the issue of scale. I mean, when you get a firm at, at this scale that by now controls a Whole Foods and, and, and started to generate, to produce a private labels to compete with firms that sell on their platform, I, I think we're going to see some scrutiny on, on what does bigness mean? What does scale mean? How should we, what, what type of firms do we allow uh, and, and how, how big we want them to be? Now, you made a really great point, which is why is it the case that we see a competitor to Uber and we don't see a competitor, we did see early competitor to Facebook and to Google, but not anymore. And, and not, it's not only, but some of that is because Uber from the first day had to fight against regulation, yeah. usually very local regulation. And, and in different cities, they were not allowed to operate. And, and having that friction resulted in the emergence of competitors that were viable. In China, they had to leave. In, 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 in Malaysia and Tunisia, they had to leave. Uh, in the U.S., they do well in some cities, but not in other cities. But because it was very clear what they do, the competition was very clear, the lobby from the other side was very clear, and, and it allowed for emergence of many other players and lifted the biggest among them. Facebook and then Google really had no friction whatsoever once they reached a certain uh, scale. I mean, I think, uh, and, and so I think only now we go back, and now it's too late. I mean, if you think about the time where Facebook was allowed to buy Instagram mm-hmm. and, and, and scrutinize at all, I mean, uh, or buy WhatsApp, these, that's what, these are the kind of things that I, I probably would not be allowed these days. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely anticipate uh, that we're going to hurt these two firms once it's being enacted, even though it's very clear. Do you think they ever might be forced to divest uh, Instagram? I mean, or, I mean, you know, how they broke up Standard Oil 100 years ago? <laughs> Could they break, break some of these big tech monopolies up again? I think for that to happen, uh, we'll need to see something really significant. I, I, right. I can definitely imagine that happening after the next election not before the next election. I, I think the amount of money, both it's very clear in my mind that both these firms are going to be among these writing the regulation. The same way that they helped write the GDPR, right. they will be writing the next regulation, and I don't see a quick a solution for or forcing Facebook to divest, but you can imagine a scenario where the next elections are colossal in terms of what we realize about the influence there, and in which case that it will be forced to do that. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Gad, appreciate it. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Jeremy. Great seeing you. Happy to be here. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.